0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: My feel of this crop is that we are not really short on weight. We are not really short on turtle
2: depth.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily podcast, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Pearson.
3: Good afternoon, Delaney Howell. How are things going in the world of Delaney.
0: They're okay, Mike. How how are things going in the world of Mike?
3: Well, you know, they are plugging right uh-huh. along. Things cool. are about what they always are, you know? Yeah. Stuff's broken. Things keep breaking. That's yeah, life.
0: That is life, it seems like, unfortunately. Yeah, Mike, that's usually how it goes, isn't it?
3: It certainly is. It certainly is, Delaney. But we are going to be talking to Ted Seifried today, but not about the markets. Well, a little about the markets. I snuck that in. (laughs) But mainly about his experience on the crop tour.
0: That's right. We've got the eastern and western leg going on right now. I think, is today their last day or tomorrow?
3: Today's their last day. They're wrapping up in Rochester, Minnesota tonight.
0: All right. That's what I thought. Did you get to go last night to the Iowa City deal?
3: no i didn't i did not get a call from nobody any of wanted, our listeners nobody
0: wanted you as their plus one
3: nobody wanted a third wheel
0: <laughs> oh well
3: yeah uh, oh well indeed well delaney before we get into ted do you want to talk news
0: let's talk news mike we have of course the next round of tariffs going into effect or have gone into effect this morning so that's another 16 billion dollars on an Uh, about 279 Chinese products, an additional 25% tariff. The thing I didn't know, and maybe you knew this, Mike, but they're also um, in the process of looking at another $200 billion worth of tariffs to put on China. Did you know that?
3: Yep, yep, but it's still in the planning stages. I mean, it sounds like we're... We're probably six weeks away from anything right. concrete on that $200 billion.
0: They said uh, the U.S. Trade Representative's office is in the middle of a six-day hearing uh, on its plans to impose another 25% tariff on that $200 billion of Chinese goods.
3: Oh, boy. Well, you know, Ted and I will talk about uh, soybean prices here during the Mm -hmm. interview. And, you know, we did see a little bit of a breakdown in the bean market today, which I'm sure was partially Mm -hmm. a part of this uh, ongoing, you know, Chinese dispute.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure it was.
3: Well, as long as we're talking trade, let's get that stuff out of the way. We've got another NAFTA headline today, Delaney.
0: Okay, break it down for us, Mike.
3: Uh, they're still working.
0: Yeah. They, I know. yeah.
3: Nothing has been accomplished. It turns out the deal was not just hours away. It seems days or was probably the, the closer call on that one. But, uh, basically it's still the same thing that we've been fighting over for the entire summer, which mm-hmm. is auto parts manufacturing and what percentage of a car has to be made in each place to qualify for tariff free trading. And mm. we don't know any details. We just know that that's one of the key issues that is hanging things up, and uh, it's one of the few. That's why they keep saying we're close, but it's only close if you end up getting anything done.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't even thought about that, what percentage of the car. Bureaucratic processes, I tell you, Mike, they're just, hmm, they something.
3: Yeah, they are. You know, it's it's just a different way of looking at things.
0: Mhm. I guess so. Doesn't
3: always make sense.
0: No, it doesn't. Not to normal people, at least.
3: Del- Delaney, you sound like you've got a specific interest in mind in this issue.
0: I, I have a little bit of a, a, what's my word I'm looking for? A complaint? A
3: bureaucratic snafu? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's it. I'm not sure if, you know, this is the best audience for it, but I feel like I don't have a voice sometimes, so I don't know what other, what other platform I have, Mike.
3: Sure. Well, you know, I, I listen to you whether I want to or not. <laughs> You're right in my ear.
0: Well, I'm your boss, kind of, technically.
3: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, which is good, you know, feminism, et cetera. So you, <laughs> you always have a voice here if you want to share something.
0: You know, I'm, I'm not going to – I'm not here to badmouth anyone or anything, but I'm just interested for producers or for listeners' input, having a bit of a dispute with one of my other employees, and their concern is that my involvement with a commodity organization would uh, would basically – So I'm not being objective as a journalist. So the Iowa Corn Growers Association, they have a leadership program called ILEAD. Of course, they're checkoff funded Iowa Corn Growers is. But the program itself is a leadership development program to enhance Iowa's agriculture and enhance leaders in Iowa's agriculture. And I was accepted into the program. accepted my spot. Now I have an employer who is concerned about my involvement. So I'm just curious, listeners... Would that involvement to you incite bias towards the Iowa Corn Growers Association? I'm just curious what people think, if listeners actually or or people that listen to Ag News would think that that would incite bias.
3: Yeah, or or if they'd still trust you after you finished up your program. Yeah, exactly. So, folks, chime in. Ch- tag us on social media. I think it'll really help Delaney out and really uh, it'll probably
0: clear things
3: up for folks all around the world. And just to mm-hmm. uh, to clarify, this was not Ag News Daily. No. It was Delaney's, one of her other broadcasting gigs that wasn't filmed in
0: Illinois. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh,
3: let's take it back to trade because, of course, we still have a lot of stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. Canada's foreign minister, while well, we're talking about uh, the rules of origin the discussion going on with Mexico, Christia Freeland said that, of course, quote, Canada would need to sign off and agree to any final conclusion reached in the bilateral talks between the United States and Mexico as part of the modernization of NAFTA, end quote. Basically, Canada, it sounds as though the U.S. and Mexico were hoping to sign an agreement and then walk up to Canada and say, hey, take it or leave it. This is what we've come to. And, uh, you know, it sounds like Christia Freeland is saying, hey, you know, we want to be included on this at least before you guys sign anything. Mm. So we'll see if that actually
0: happens. Yes, we will, Mike. Kind of, well, I don't really have a good transition, but I guess in the way of other regulatory issues, we've got some news in the meatless meat category today. Mm. Yeah. So,
3: so not meat. You've got vegetable Well,
0: <laughs> okay. We'll call it vegetable news. Although the North American Meat Institute is also a part of this news, and that's a meat group. So it's kind of both. So the North American Meat Institute and Memphis Meats, which is one of those meatless meat companies, sent a joint letter to the White House this week, lobbying and basically sharing their opinion on how meatless meat should be regulated moving forward. They suggest that, the Department of Agriculture, USDA, and the FDA take a joint stance and both monitor and administer rules and regulations for meatless meat, basically um, saying, you know, the front half of it should be governed by X and the back half should be governed by Y. Um, And then the letter also suggests that the FDA should be in charge of ensuring the, okay, here it is, the FDA should be the ones in charge of the pre-market safety evaluation of the evaluation of cell-based meat and poultry um, with USDA output. However, once pre-market safety is established, then regulatory insight should be shifted to the USDA. So besides hmm. that, they've also called for a meeting between the White House, the USDA, the FDA, and conventional and cell-based meat and poultry industry stakeholders. They want to bring all of those groups together for one joint, probably uh, hellacious conversation.
3: Yeah, I'm... It's interesting that uh, the North American Meat Institute is involved in this, and from Memphis Meat's perspective, I've got to imagine they've figured a way that they can comply with both USDA and FDA regs on their uh, meat-type product creation which I assume that's why they want them both to collaborate. Maybe it'll kick some of their consumers out of the game if they can only meet mm-hmm. one or the other's regulatory burden. So yeah, we'll see. Meatless meat. Yeah, you
0: know. maybe. I guess I hadn't thought about it like that, but that could be it.
3: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times folks will use uh, existing regulatory uh, rules to, you know, hurt your competitor a little bit. Uh, yeah, you know. that's very true. Well, Delaney, you are not a coffee drinker, are you?
0: No, I'm not. No. I'm, I like the smell, but just, I don't know. I've never been a coffee drinker.
3: All right. Well, as you get older, you will. Um, yeah. Or, you know, you'll you'll sip soda, you know, all day, every day. Eventually, <laughs> you need caffeine, is what no, I've learned. The no, human no, no. body I don't want to. isn't built to uh temple. This body is a the
0: temple, Like This body is a temple. Well, so's mine.
3: So's mine. Mine's a temple <laughs> to hedonism. Uh, Dionysus. 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 <laughs> Anyhow, so I love coffee, and I drink a lot of coffee. I drink about a pot every morning, and there's coffee trouble ahead. Brazil has had an absolute bumper crop following on the heels of last year's bumper crop, and right now there is not enough shipping capacity on container ships leaving Mm. Brazil. So importers are saying they're seeing an eight-day delay on getting shipments booked onto ships, but probably won't see it played out in the grocery store with coffee shortage or anything because most folks are still sitting on ample supply thanks to last year's record. Long term, we should expect to see co- uh, coffee prices continue to decline, which would be good because I think I spent eight bucks on my Ooh. giant vat of uh, Folgers pre-ground you know, dry roast.
0: I've got an interesting factoid for you, Mike. Are you ready for it about coffee?
3: I love factoids.
0: Okay, well, so I've specifically Latin America over the couple last couple of months, gotten to go on a couple of trips there. We've done some coffee um tours, and so when we were in Costa Rica, they said a lot of the coffee that you get in the u s is like dark roasted or the darker roasted stuff that actually is just burnt, yeah, like you realistically shouldn't cook it. what would the word, stew it very long.
3: Sure, I, I believe it. I hate dark roast. I like French roast or uh, a blonde roast is, is my choice. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. But uh makes sense. The One cooking of, times, that's what dictates what variety of coffee it is. I thought that was interesting. Yeah,
3: yeah, and then, of course, you've got our Arabica versus Indica. Is that the other coffee? Yep,
0: yep. Uh, I don't know that you're pronouncing it correctly, but, yeah, yes, I, I they're two. So.
3: yeah. I am proudly American, and I pronounce things the American way.
0: <laughs> okay, great.
3: Well, Delaney, do you have any other news for us to uh, update our listeners on today before we talk to Ted?
0: I just have one other quick update here on the African swine fever. It looks like we're having another reported outbreak as of today or Thursday. Um, The latest case is in the eastern city of Wenzhou, and has resulted in 430 pigs being affected and 340 of which died.
3: Huh. Now, this is getting kind of weird. Because these are all hundreds of miles apart from one another.
0: Well, this is actually the first infection site. So that very first one we we reported on back in, what, two or three weeks ago? Yeah. But it's in the same city as the first outbreak.
3: gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, then this one makes sense. I can see how things would spread in the same city. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't help the hog prices very much today. let we jump in and talk about what's going on?
0: I guess we better, Mike.
3: All right, folks. And remember, our markets are brought to us by our friends at Zaner. You're going to hear Ted Seifert in just a bit. He's their chief market strategist. In the meantime, you can put them to work for you. Give them a call at 312-277-0050. And we've got weakness pretty well all down the, yeah, all down the board in grains. In the corn market, September contract down five and three quarters cents at 3.46 and three quarters. December also down five and three quarters to close at 3.61 even. In soybeans, the September contract down 16 and a quarter cents, closed at 8.42 even. November down 16 and a quarter, closed the day at 8.54. In wheat, Chicago contract September down four cents, 5.22 even. December down three and a half to finish at 5.41 and three quarters. Looking over at livestock, we've got pretty well mixed trade up and down the board. In live cattle, the August contract down 27 and a half cents at 107.95, the October down 17 and a half to close at 108.72.50. In feeder cattle, the August contract up 32.5 cents, closed at 149.02.50. The September unchanged on the day to finish at 149.15. And in lean hogs, the front month really took a beating today. October down 242.5 to close at 51.175. The December down 80 cents to close at 50.87.5. Of course, we've got to take a look at the dairy market in Class 3 milk, the August contract Unchanged on the day at fifteen dollars September up thirty-one cents on the day to close at sixteen oh five. Before we hear from Ted Seifert, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds.
0: I've got Phil Long, agronomy specialist for Latham High Tech Seeds on the line with me today. And Phil it sounds like a lot of folks have been seeing or possibly seeing some sudden death syndrome. How should they go about identifying if that's in their fields or not?
2: Yeah, sure. There's, there's a, this is the perfect time to be seeing it out there, you know, around that R5, R6 time period is when it really starts to show up. And, you know, it's got that intervenal chlorosis that comes out and turns into necrosis. Typical leaves will start to fall off too. Um, but really the key diagnoser for it is, is, is pulling a plant and splitting the stem at the lower part of the, the stem. That's really when you can tell the difference if you split it apart and you see discoloration in the outside cortex tissue. That's where you'll be able to tell versus a brown stem rot, which the very center of the pith is going to actually be a brown and skeletalized. So those are the kind of the two key diagnostics between the two and, and not confusing one versus the other.
0: Phil, if, if folks do find those in their fields, is there anything they can do once they find it, or is it crops over from there?
2: Yep, a lot of times they'll finish filling out uh, the best they can until the the crop actually stops growing completely. It is a vascular, they're both vascular diseases, fungal diseases, so it'll eventually kill the plant. Um, there's nothing you can do other than and plan ahead, you know, for next year, and something, plan, something like our, our ironclad soybean lines that have tolerances to those, particular uh, especially sudden death syndrome those diseases your best method going forward
0: all right so thanks again and folks if you have any questions about sudden death syndrome or other agronomic questions you can head to lathamseeds.com or call 877-GO-LATHAM
3: Well, folks, joining me today is Ted Seifert, and it's not a Market Monday, it's a Thursday, but Ted is on the Pro Farmer Crop Tour, and he's given us an update. Ted, how are things
1: going? Well, it has been a very interesting tour, in my opinion, or at least from my standpoint, because coming into this tour, uh, the burning question in my mind was, with the advanced state of maturity with this crop, uh, and what I mean by that is that at the moment, this is the fourth fastest crop pushing towards maturity that we've seen, uh, since, uh, we started, uh, the NASS, uh, crop updates. Um, and we were wondering what that would do to the crop. When we look at analog years, we have some pretty mixed results. So we weren't exactly sure. The idea was that, you know, with this crop maturing in warmer and, and drier conditions, are we going to see shallow kernels and, and low test weight? And while we're not testing weight and we're not measuring kernel depth on this uh, uh, on this tour uh, my observation just from you know eyeballing it and, and the heft that I feel in my hand and um, you know just just you know my feel of this crop is that we are not really short on weight and we are not really short on kernel depth. Uh, we've seen a little bit of that but certainly it hasn't been an overriding Uh Here today on day four as we're going through Minnesota which we knew had some problems um, is where I'm seeing most of that smaller kernel depth. Uh, but it's that's really been the first time the tour, and again, this is day four. I've really said that so. In South Dakota, uh, most of Nebraska looks really good, except for uh, we had a almost 10 miles. Um, you know, that's major problem area. Uh, but aside from that, Nebraska looked really good, uh, better than I've seen before. Um, South. Western Iowa had some problem issues, uh, but as we got uh, further east and north, things started to look quite a bit better. Um, And then, you know, Minnesota, for the most part, is kind of variable. We've seen some really good crops. In fact, I saw my my best cornfield in Minnesota, uh, but I've also seen some of my worst, not the worst, but close to it. Uh, So kind of of some variability in, in Minnesota. But my overall takeaway so far, just my own personal takeaway, is that this crop is here. Uh, I, I think the USDA is fairly close on their current estimate. I don't think that number is going to swing too far in either direction. Um, I don't, we're going to, we're in for a major surprise when we get into harvest finding out that this crop is a lot smaller than it looks. Uh, it could be a little bit, you know, but I, I don't think we're going to see something that with a, a six or eight national or bushel national average yield swing. Um, and, and I think, I, part of the benefit of, of this tour happening when it is, and, and with the crop being as advanced as it is, I think we're getting a really good read on this crop because we're looking at a lot of corn uh, that is anywhere from 10 days to, to a little over two weeks away from black glare, which is much more progressed than what we were looking at last year. Last year, the Pro Farmer Crop Tour missed the national average yield by a fair amount, uh, but I think that was really because we were doing our best to try to guess potential of a mature crop, whereas this is much more of a finished product. And, and I don't think we're, we're adding or subtracting yield too much between now and, and the end, at least for corn. Certainly there can be things that, that can affect soybean yield weather-wise between now and the finish line. But even the soybeans are quite a bit further along than what we were looking at last year, and I think we're a lot closer uh, to a guess. I think our, our soybean guests will be a lot closer to the reality unless we have a major weather event.
3: Now, Ted, you mentioned there coming through southwest Iowa. Of course, you're touching on that area just north of the devastating drought across Missouri and, and you know, the <laughs> yes, southern right. tiers of counties. Did you notice any sort of moisture stress in those southern Iowa
1: counties? Yes, absolutely, Mike. We certainly did. You know, and, and I was actually kind of surprised when we started our day, our first four polls in Fremont and Page County, we're averaging over 200 bushels per floor. We were seeing a pretty major amount of pollination issues coming from, like you said, the heat and moisture stress, uh, sort of drought conditions. We also had a lot of green snap, a lot, a lot of green snap. So that is really holding the crop back. That there in that area, um, so it, it is. It's a problem spot, and we kind of knew about it going in. Um, it you know, those concerns were really sort of confirmed um but overall you know when we look at the district numbers that we saw from uh the pro farmer tour last night or or wednesday night uh they weren't terribly far off of what the usda is currently suggesting we'll see more on the iowa number here tonight and then over on the eastern leg um you know the 6.6 percent increase year over year in the in the counties that we tested in Illinois, really holds true with what the USDA is saying. So a lot of the the our nightly estimates are coming out very uh, not no not estimates. Our nightly data of of the polls that we're taking are coming out pretty close to what the USDA is saying. We'll do what the pro farmers guys do when they come up with their objective yield estimate when they sit down after the tour is done, uh, that'll be released on Friday. Um, they, they'll kind of spin their interpretation in it a little bit but from my eye when i'm looking at just the raw data coming out that we've seen in the last 3 days and so far what i've seen uh, on this fourth day i think the usda estimate is, is pretty darn close to what the reality is and again we're looking at a fairly advanced crop so i think that reality is not going to change much now in harvest
3: now, in your travels over the past uh, several days, Ted, did you see any combines running? Have we hit a place where, you know, more than, than wet corn, as I imagine you'd see in in parts of eastern Nebraska, was anybody, has the crop matured enough that they were rocking and rolling with the combine?
1: Okay, great question. Uh, no, no, we haven't seen anything roll. We we thought we might have for a second when we were well off in the distance, and as we caught closer, we, saw it, we realized they were just doing some yard work. Oh. Um, no. We have it. We haven't seen anything bad enough to just straight up chop and and zero out uh, or chop for silage. Uh, But we've seen a lot of very advanced crops, but nothing quite, nothing less than about eight to ten days away from from full maturity. So a little bit early. I mean, it's it's an advanced crop, but it's not a 2012 type crop where we've just fried to the point where we can go in and get it right now or get what's left of it right now. it, it, again it's a good crop it's a it's a fast moving crop it's far along, but it's a good crop and so no crop- no combines yet at least not not as far south as we went or we didn't go far far enough south to see that um but again it, it's a very good looking crop and it is it's getting pretty close to that though i think you'll you'll have guys going uh first or second week of of September, especially when you get uh down into those drier areas in southwestern Iowa. Yeah, yeah,
3: you bet. Now, Ted, today you're scooting along right around Interstate 90 through Minnesota. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. We're working our way to, into Rochester. We're getting fairly close to it now. Uh, our route has has kept us um, a little bit further north of, of, uh, of I-90, um, okay. around the Waseca and the, uh, Owatuna areas. Uh, but, uh, yeah. No, it's it's pretty pretty straight shot into Rochester. for me. Now,
3: when you're getting up that north, of course, we saw you know the northern counties in Iowa, the southern counties in Minnesota, absolutely blasted with rain all summer long. Did you mm-hmm. are you too far north to see some of those impacts, or are you seeing wetness, you know, dead spots in the field, uh, anything like that?
1: Yeah, no, no, we've we've certainly see that. And when I say you know we're north, we're still very much in the southern part of, of the state. It's just you know. Um, for some of the routes really hug the Iowa-Minnesota border. Ours is just a little bit further north than that. But no, we, we've definitely seen the impact. I mean, we, we've we had a couple of fields today do, uh, for corn do 104. We had a 116. And all of my notes are, are that, you know, we've got, we had very short corn. Um, it was obviously underwater, uh, at some point. It, large, large areas. It will make grain. It, it's, it's about the most imminent corn we've seen on this tour. Um, again, it will make grain, but it's gonna it 's gonna need a little more time and uh that 's about the only thing that i i oh that was about the only cross that I saw that may have some sort of threat of a frost damage um, but yeah, I mean we are seeing that, but it 's very variable in Minnesota, like we said i mean just a few miles down we'd see something with a one eighty seven uh yield check or or even a two hundred and thirty three yield check that was uh the two thirty we got the one o four and then the two thirty three came at about twenty miles uh twenty miles different so it it's uh a lot of variability in minnesota and that's pretty typical of the two wet conditions when you have large areas that get that get flooded out or pounded out like that
3: absolutely ted from from this in little inside baseball here, when you guys are doing the tour, you're, you're pulling ears off, you're taking looks at fields, mm-hmm. how do you or do you account for, you know, big ponded out areas in the center of a field? Is that something that you guys make notes of or figure into the results um, somehow?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we have a, a systematic way of doing this, um, and you know, when we go into the field, we get past the end rows or hedgerows, uh, and then once we're in uh a normal row we walk 35 paces stop and then we take a 30 foot uh, measurement of one row and then the row next to it if it so happens that we stop in or uh stop in a flooded out spot you can get a zero or if your if your measurement's touching a flooded out spot and and you know there's on your 30 foot uh row uh only 17 foot of it it may actually make grain well that's going to certainly affect uh, the yield count uh, so the randomness of it does sort of incorporate some of those front, uh, those flooded out areas. Um, it, it's really hit or miss, but yeah, uh, we try to incorporate that as much as possible.
3: All right, Ted. And before we let you go, we're, we're talking to one of the great market minds here of the 21st century, and I got to pick your brain a little bit. We got red across the screen, and of course, we're uh, we're just yeah. wrapping up the close here on the markets as we're talking. What's going on mm-hmm. today? What's driving this down move?
1: Well, I think you've got a couple things going on this week. Um, first of all, you know, I think earlier in the week the trade started to realize that this, this, this news piece that we had gotten really excited about, uh, the idea of the U.S. having a road or the U.S. and China having a roadmap to ending the trade wars <coughs> might, may have been interpreted a little bit too friendly or, or maybe just not interpreted correctly. Uh, I think more what we're realizing is that we've got a roadmap to how we're going to start to talk about this. It, it seems this week we we feel like we're a lot further away from something than what we were feeling at the end of the day on on last Friday when that news first broke. Uh, so that's kind of set into the market and that's been a little bit of pressure. But really, I, I, I really do think that the this, this crop tour uh, was hoping that scouts were going to go out and start seeing issues that really disagreed with what the USDA was saying, um, and in particular say... You know, okay, from a simple yield check, it looks like the yields there, but you know, just looking at kernel depth and just just getting that feel of that heft of, of of the co- corn cob or corn ears, uh, it's just not the weight's just not there. Well, and we've kind of we've kind of had the opposite experience, and so that's had some pressure on the market. You've got a lot of old crop corn that has been needing uh, that has been needing to get moved, and I think you had a lot of guys waiting or hoping for. Uh, maybe a 10 cent bounce um, possibly coming from the crop tour that didn't happen so now you're getting that towel thrown in so you've got that cash moving as we normally see at the tail end of a marketing year as we get ready for this next harvest Um so you know, I think we're on a, a bit of a trek to harvest lows here I think the good news is that with this crop being as far advanced as it is seasonal seem to have been about two to three weeks ahead of normal this year I think we'll do the same as far as putting the lows in I'd love to just kind of get the bigger yield number idea placed into the market now, rip the Band-Aid off. Let's get down to those lows so we can get ready for a recovery into the end of the calendar year, going into the winter months or even into the first of, uh, of next year, because I do think we'll have a fairly solid recovery. The positive thing is here, even with a very big corn crop, we also have very big demand, very solid demand. We're going to have a declining balance sheet year over year, both globally and domestically. I still think there's good reason to be optimistic corn, but but I do think that you know the idea that we've taken away the big the potential of a big surprise during harvest that wow this corn crop isn't all there that 178 we thought we had it's actually a 171 or a 16 Mm. or a 169 I I think we're putting that idea to bed that's part of the reason why we've been happy. Gotcha. Well, Ted Seifert,
3: always appreciate your insight. We wish you safe travels on the road to Rochester and then, of course, back home to Chicago. Ted Seifert at the Ted Spread on Twitter. Thanks for talking to us today.
1: Oh, the pleasure as always, mine. Mike. You have a wonderful day and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.
3: Well, that is the update from the road there, Delaney.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a good one, Mike. Definitely. Really still, I'm just surprised at how much in line they are with USDA's projection.
3: Yeah, and you know that that was something that uh, Ted's mentioned that I've seen a lot on Twitter. A lot of folks are going, "Wow, this is eerie. How close these are. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you know underhanded going on? Are they trying to match the USDA? Yeah. And and as Ted alluded to in the interview, and I know that Chip Flory and Brian Grady have talked about in public. You know, these day-to-day numbers, these are just calculations of what they've pulled in the field. There's no additional, you know, number massaging that goes into mm-hmm. these nightly results. It's just, this is what we pulled. You know, we extrapolated, did, do the statistics, whatever, math that I you hate. Know how it
0: works, right, yeah.
3: Yeah, it works, it's magic. They do you some know.
0: magic, yeah. Huh? It's
3: a calculator, and magic right. comes out. And, you know, that's all they're reporting. So it is rather impressive, I should say that USDA appears to be doing pretty well with their Mm -hmm. uh, yield guesses at least this far into the year.
0: That is true, but we have a lot of questions still with the fast maturity. We've had some pockets of dryness across the U.S., so it'll be interesting to see going into harvest here what we end up with for final yield results.
3: Yeah. I'll be interested to see how many acres of corn for grain get harvested in Missouri. Mm -hmm. That's the one. Yeah. Or eastern
0: Iowa, even. Southeastern Iowa, my neck of the woods. You bet.
3: How much was baled and chopped versus how much was actually harvested with a combine and uh, paid for the diesel. So
0: Exactly. We'll yes.
3: see. But Delaney, if folks want to follow along with anything else we've talked about in the past or listen to yesterday's interview with Clay Connery from the Working Cows podcast, where should they go?
0: Absolutely, Mike. They can go to com and listen to any of our previous episodes. They can also find us on Facebook and Twitter if they want to follow Ag News Daily. They can search for at Ag News Daily. If they want to follow the Global Ag Network, which is rolling out here in just a couple of weeks, they can find us also on Facebook and Twitter by find, searching at Ag News Daily Network. Excuse me, at the Global Ag Network. With that, might should we let people go?
3: Let's let them go.